The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to our Home Cinema Podcast for March. Coming up, we discuss the state of the industry during this recession. We look forward to what new products we're looking forward to seeing. And we wrap up by looking at the virtues of high-end Blu-ray playback. And on this month's podcast, uh, we have a full house. Um, joining us this week is AV Forum's hardware reviewer, David McKenzie. Hi, David. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, also joining us is from Genesis Technologies, Neil Davidson. Hi, Neil. Hi, Phil. And once again, we have Graham Goodburn. Hi, Graham. Hi, Phil. Now, it's, uh, it's been a little while since we were last on air. In fact, probably about three months. So Christmas and New Year are now out of the way. Lots has been happening in the industry. And I guess uh, I'll go to Neil first. The biggest thing has to be the current financial climate, Neil. So how are things three months on into 2009? Well, it's been uh, been interesting times, I think. Uh, what we've seen is that there's certainly been some, well, let's call it consolidation in the marketplace. Um, the areas that undoubtedly have been hardest hit are retailers and suppliers um, who've been supplying the, the more general consumer market because, of course, it's it's people like you and I who maybe would have had some money to spend on our hobby four or five months ago that simply don't have that spare cash uh, at this minute in time. In the industry, we've also seen that anyone who relied on development or construction as their main source of business uh, has really suffered because, of course, those two elements have dried up completely. On the flip side, what we've seen is that the high end, truthfully, has never been stronger um, and some of that consolidation that I mentioned is, is surely helping that. that there's, there's just simply less competition um, for the high-end projects at this minute in time. Uh, so it's, it's mixed times in the industry. High-end is still going quite well. Uh, but the, the more mass market certainly is feeling the real crunch at this minute in time. And I guess, Graham, a lot of that will come down to the fact that when you get to the mass market, you're talking about people... Um, who are losing their jobs at the moment. Uh, the unemployment rate is, is the highest it's been for about 20 years now, so that must impact on, on that end of the market. Yeah, of course it will. Um, yeah, the second that the pilot hires sell it cheap, retail stores uh, are not having the footfall coming through the doors to buy the 32-inch televisions and all that business, um, the people that sat there in the back office are the first people to... Um, be given uh, their uh, margin orders, which is all very sad. Um, I still think that uh, the people that are in the higher up part of the business uh, seem to be relatively stable because um, there's always work for those type of people to do. But uh, it does seem unfortunate that even my local curry store uh, just decided it was going to close lock, stock and barrel because there's a, a bigger warehouse type curries um, not far away and they're just consolidating all that. But um, they're not taking on any of the staff that are in, in the high street shop. So it's uh, not very nice for people at the moment at that level. But, um, hopefully it's just a little blip because people are already saying that uh, oh, things are not quite as bad as people make out and by the summer uh, it will level out and start going up again towards the uh, late summer, early autumn um, and I certainly hope so as well having been kicked out of a job once myself some 30 odd years ago um, that thought stays with you for some considerable time because it's not nice to happen to anybody and uh, the other thing that we've got to obviously uh, talk about here is the fact that we're talking about the majority of Japanese companies and the yen being so strong at the moment. Lots of talk of price rises starting in April. Um, that's bound to inf- affect the market as well, isn't it, Neil? Well, the only thing that surprises me about that is that prices have been able to be held until April, uh, which should give you some idea of the stock levels that people have uh, have been carrying. I'm sure everyone listening knows that I have a distribution company. And although prices to us from our suppliers have not changed, currency has a huge impact. Um, Just in the last week, for example, uh, the euro changed from 0.87 to 0.94 against the pound. 
um, and that's just that, that's money that that gets added on. It's it doesn't come from anywhere. It's just the currency is changing, um, and I know it's very difficult when people see a price suddenly change. And I know that in some instances it seemed excessive, but the rate of change in currency markets has been unprecedented. And truthfully, as a business, there is no way to to really insulate against that other than through changing your price. And will we see some of these majors actually take on some of some of these price rises themselves, or do you think all that's going to get passed over to the consumer? Oh, at the minute, undoubtedly, some of that price rise has been accepted um, by the, the manufacturers or distributors where applicable, but it's impossible for that to continue even in the medium term, never mind the long term. Um, all businesses need to make a certain amount of money to survive. Um, most consumer electronics products uh, don't carry that much margin on them. So something like a you know a hundred pound DVD player or something like that, there isn't a whole uh, a whole lot of money in a product like that. Um, and when you're looking at changes of fifteen or twenty percent. It's it's clear that it's impossible for anyone to absorb the full impact of that. It will have to get transferred over um, in higher prices. Of course, the the interesting thing I'm sure for everybody will be to see if uh, the prices change uh, when the currency markets equalise, uh, which I'm sure will happen again in the future. And I guess the the other thing um, the, when you're talking about price rises is sometimes you're talking about models that have been on the market for maybe six or eight months and they're suddenly getting a, a price rise, that's going to be confusing to the consumer, isn't it? Undoubtedly it will be confusing for the consumer, but again, uh, it would have been impossible for anyone to have predicted the impact and the severity of these price changes. Um, again, we don't. I, I don't work in a volume business, well, as you know, um, but we have seen the impact literally from week to week uh, of the goods that we sell changing in price. Um, and it's it's incredibly difficult for any company to absorb that kind of change. And a company that does deal in very high volumes, a change of 2 or 3% either way can have a huge impact, um, positively or negatively, on their business. Um, and of course it's impossible, as I've just said, for them to keep absorbing price rises. That's what we're seeing at this minute in time. So the other thing is that obviously it's this time of year that manufacturers are releasing the new product lines. And one thing I have noticed, guys, is that um, 42, 50-inch models that last year were around about the 500 to 1,000 pound range, suddenly they've gone up a good 30, 40%. So are we seeing these prices come in with the new ranges then? Well, there's two effects that people are actually witnessing now. So the one thing is something that's been known in the industry would happen for a long time. Uh, it's been survival of the fittest in the flat panel market um, and with Pioneer finally uh, bowing out that means that there's very little competition left in the plasma market for example uh, and what Panasonic uh, are looking at doing and I assume it's Panasonic who you're referring to is simply they are offering the retailers who they work with the chance to earn some money on a flat panel now which was simply not the case um, before it was almost impossible to earn uh, any type of money selling flat panels over the last two or three years. Um, and I know that, that listeners may find that difficult to believe, but it's it's simply true that there was very, very, very little chance to make money selling flat panels. Where was all the money going? There was just no money in them. The, 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 the cost right. of the, the panel um, yeah. was very similar to the price it was being sold at. Yeah. Um, due to, to competition from different manufacturers and so on. Um, now that that, that that competition is less, it gives the the winner, shall we say, the, the company who's still left in the marketplace, the opportunity to raise their prices. So that's one effect. And the second effect, of course, is the effect of, of currency. So if you take those two things together, that translates to the price rises that you're seeing. So, taking on from that point, um, analyst company Review today, they've issued uh, a press release saying that um, they think that plasma is now dead and that LCD TVs are uh, the way forward in the consumer market. 
and they sampled 5,708 customers. So is that right, or is is that just the fact that they're looking at the, the wrong end of the market, guys? That's an um, interesting statement, that. Um, yeah. How, sh- how shall we uh, reply to that? Well, there's an awful lot of um, your Currys and your Dixon-type screens, and they're all going to be LCDs. And depending on where the guy's turned up in the high street to ask the question, he's going to get an answer that is uh, dependent on what's available in those high street shops. Um Plasma's not dead at all. Um, you've still got Samsung and Panasonic um, manufacturing them by the million. Um, and Panasonic have even built a brand new plasma factory. So you know, they're always going to be around, but they're going to be at a different level to moat the majority of the sets you will see available for sale in the high street. And that's just the way it is. I don't see that that's ever changed, to be honest. LCDs are there for the mass market and plasmas are there for the custom install and the larger sizes. Um, does anybody disagree that that's changed? I think there's uh, a lot of mass market ignorance about PDP in general. I mean, you, you, I, I don't know to what extent like the public believe this, but you have your whole de- uh, regassing stuff, you know, and um, <laughs> just, but just, just a few days ago, I was talking to a guy who thought that the EU had made plasma TVs illegal. There's this, there, there, there are like sites out there who just want a quick story who are reporting that, um, you know, the, this whole um, energy consumption scare. Here we go again. Yes, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's just for some reason it's just been dogged by this whole um, ignorance. And and this is one thing I'm going to pick up on because this happens in the review um, report. They they're actually sta- stating that uh, plasma is fifty percent less energy efficient than an LCD, and that it'll cost you an extra thirty eight pounds a year to run a plasma over an LCD. Now that is just wrong. Um, yeah. And I don't know where they've gotten that from, but that is just wrong. It, you just have to look at Panasonic's latest models. They're three times more energy efficient, and from the demonstrations we've seen, um, they, they're running less than an LCD because obviously an LCD has a backlight, which is on all the time, so it's going to run at a fairly high level all the time anyway, whereas plasma generates its own light. Is that the right way I to think look at things? Also, also, if you remember that, I, I mean, I, I, this is just a hunch I'm going on, but I'm, I'm imagining most people, or more, not most, but more people who use um, uh, a plasma are going to have it configured into, uh, in some way where it's, it, it's not outputting, you know, like a suntan uh, style image. So again, it's going to use, c- c- compared to an LCD with the backlight up full in its, its factory settings. When I've had people um, talking about this and demanding to know the power consumption of a plasma panel from the manufacturer I work for, it was one of those things where they really did need to be proved that um, plasma panels are the only true energy modulating panel you buy. Um, Therefore, they consume uh, electricity purely based on the picture content at the time. The more white in it, the more it uses. But, of course, many of these people jump on the bandwagon and just read the plate on the back of the uh, television that says this is the maximum consumption. And, unfortunately, that's what plasma manufacturers have to put on the back of the screen. Um, When you do – I mean, I was instrumental in trying to get a standard test set up whereby you would play normal stuff you would watch during the course of the day – yeah, everything from Ski Sunday to Lord of the Rings and measure the average consumption based on that type of viewing, which is perfectly normal in, in the average home. And the energy consumption figures were a third less than the sticker plate easily. And this is on screens that were three years old at the time. Um, like uh, Phil was saying, the, the new Panasonic sets are truly green and... I would have thought over six months viewing, there wouldn't be much to choose between an LCD set of the same size as a plasma. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that doesn't sell or sh- it doesn't actually arrive at any type of shock tactics that uh, are headline grabbers like, you know, LCD uses less than a plasma by 30%. It's just not true. There's so many if, buts and maybes. And if you dig deeper into it, people just back away from it and say, all right, maybe you're right. And you'll find a little two-line thing in the bottom of what hi-fi or something like this saying, well, actually, we noticed no difference. But, of course, that doesn't uh, 
sell papers, as they say. Yeah, and uh, obviously we're just looking at one bit of uh, analyst data here. I do get the JFK data through as well, and you'll be surprised to hear that plasma was actually 20% up in December and January uh, on sale, so that's roughly equates to around about ten to 12,000 screens being sold. So, so like we say, plasma definitely isn't dead, but let's get back to the economy and let's wrap up on that conversation. And one thing I wanted to put to Neil, uh, Neil, you work for, or, or you're a distributor to custom install companies. Uh, the building trade at the moment is uh, absolutely dire. So how is the custom install market at the moment? Well, the the custom install market is, is split, uh, kind of like three ways, if you like. Um, as I mentioned earlier, anyone who was relying on the building trade, so uh, let's say renovations, new builds, etc., um, or developer markets, is, has struggled or has already had to close their doors, unfortunately. We've seen quite a number of companies who that has happened to. Um, the companies who were concentrating on the residential, let's say private individual market, um, so specifically a customer coming along um, and saying I have one house that I want you to do a custom installation for me whether that's multi-room or cinema it doesn't really matter um, at the, the, the middle end of the market that business is very tight just now as well it's still there but it has it has suffered in a similar way uh, to you know the mass market that we've just spoken about simply because the type of person who's looking for that install is you or I. Um, we've moved house, and whereas previously we would have had a bit more cash available um, or been able to get some more on the mortgage or, or from wherever, simply that's not the case anymore. Um, and also people are not able to remortgage their homes in the way that they were. And then the final area that is still extremely strong is the high-end residential um, single client market is still very, very strong. Um, there still seems to be a lot of very good business out there for the, the, the limited number of companies who operate solely in that area. So that's the, the, the three sections that I see in the industry at this minute in time. And do you guys think the industry strong enough to, to pull through what's happening at the moment? I mean, the, the old argument always was that if people can't afford to go out, they'll go and buy a new TV or a Blu-ray player and entertain themselves at home. Do you think that arg- that argument stands up? Um, at this minute, no, because I I believe that that anyone who is affected to that point has is hurting so badly at this minute in time, or is being so cautious. And that's another thing to remember that it's not just people who are losing jobs or anything like that. I think many many people are being much more cautious with their spending uh, at this minute in time, not looking to increase debts or anything like that. Um, and I just don't don't see that argument holding up in the way that it would have done in the past. Um, if you actually look, for example, at the uptake of flat panel TVs over the last three or four years, there can't be too many people these days who don't have at least one or two flat panel TVs in their home, such has been the rate of take-up of these types of products. Um, and that that really doesn't leave much, uh, much in the way of space for uh, doing the occasional upgrade here and there. Now, one bit of information which I grabbed onto at a recent Toshiba press launch, and um, it did kind of make sense. Uh, what was being said is the fact that we've got now got the fact that um, the transmitters are being switched off over the countries and that everybody's moving to uh, digital TV. So obviously we have millions upon millions of second TVs in homes, which will be in kitchens and bedrooms and so on. A lot of these will still be analog devices, so... Do you think there will be this growth in the 26-inch, the 28-inch TV market for second sets? I think that there is an opportunity there in the marketplace. But again, we can turn that, that back around and say, really, what what would you look to spend on a TV like that? Well, for, for me, I have to say, in, in the bedroom or the kitchen or wherever else, I'm not really that bothered that the picture is the the finest picture that you could possibly see. Um, I just simply want something that works to an acceptable level. Truthfully, as we all know at this minute in time, when when money is tight, you can go into Tesco or wherever else and buy some no-name brand um, for 
for peanuts. I mean, it's 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 so cheap for a a smaller TV these days. And again, it comes back to what I was saying earlier. Where is the margin? Where is the money in that product that companies need um, to to continue to sell them, to offer support for that product, and so on? Um, it, I just don't simply see where where that comes from um, to to fund the sort of growth that Toshiba are talking about there. Yeah, there's also the point that um, a lot of people simply don't understand that if they have Sky TV, they don't need a new television. That will work just as well into their analog TV as it ever did. The same goes for a Freeview set-top box or even a Freesat set-top box. They all have SCARTs on the back of them, and if your TV's got a SCART input, the job's done. You know, it doesn't make your TV redundant overnight. But, of course, um, how it's worded um, will really depend on how people react. And if everybody in the whole world or the whole of the UK's um, told the story that they need to buy a new flat panel television, otherwise they won't be able to watch EastEnders, um, that's what they may well do until they get found out. And then there'll be more mass confusion and uh, I would assume a fair bit of anger once they find out that what they had already would have carried on working. Um, it's a dangerous time. You know, you, if you're honest, you don't sell a screen. And if you're dishonest, sooner or later you get found out. Um, yeah, would be a manufacturer at the moment. <laughs> yeah, just to pick up on that as well, one thing that I'm surprised we haven't seen more of uh, is many set-top boxes. So I know, for example, TV Onyx has one now that's hardly bigger than a matchbox uh, that will allow your TV to pick up digital television. And I think we may start to see more and more of that. And for the price of those, a couple of tens of pounds, um, that's something that people will go out and buy with their groceries. And I can see that there is a market there aimed specifically at the second televisions. But... <sighs> Very difficult, in my opinion. Um, You'd not have to sell back. a lot of them, won't you, to make any yeah. money? We've got um, some SCART devices that are just no bigger than a SCART plug that uh, give yeah. you free view TV and an acceptable picture. We even tried it on a 63-inch plasma, and it was watchable from a distance, mind you, but it was watchable. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's truly, truly shocking what you got over there, though, isn't it? Sorry to go off on a tangent, but I can't, I can't just let that one go. <laughs> Yeah, this well, there this, you go. this this whole um idea that if people are not going to go out as much, they're going to spend more money on home entertainment. I don't understand why people assume that means they're going to buy more hardware. Surely it means like software sales would be up. Yeah, DVD, absolutely. Yeah, agree. To a small extent, blurry, I guess. Absolutely agree. Well, you just have to look at the likes of Sky and Virgin at the moment, um, pushing their movie channels for yeah. two pound extra a week at the moment is the latest um. Special offer, which I, I noticed a trail for last night. So, um, so yeah, you could be right there, David. That it's definitely a software push rather than a hardware push. So, or content if it's a Sky. Yeah, definitely. So, um, let's just wrap up on this. We're all getting a bit doom and gloom at the moment. <laughs> and uh, just just one thing, I don't know if, if this is going to happen um, countrywide or whether it was just the border region. But when Border TV switched off and went digital, Cumbrian Border went at the same time. Um, they were actually in the high streets in some of these towns giving free freeview boxes away. Um, <laughs> so whether we see that in the rest of the country, I would doubt that that would be the case. If you're looking at somewhere like uh, Granada's area, that's huge, isn't it? Liverpool, Manchester, that kind of area. I can't see them giving it away for free. But like we say, there's lots of devices out there. You don't have to go and buy another TV. And just to wrap up, is it all doom and gloom, guys, or are we just... Uh, covering the 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 base the bases here and things do look a little bit bad, but is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I would say there was. Um, if people are in certain parts of the industry are prepared to put in a lot of effort, well, then they'll get the jobs that they frankly deserve because of that effort they've put in. If you know uh, a Curry's or a Dixon's that sat in the high street selling. 28 and 32 inch tellies all its life and then all of a sudden nobody comes in the door they haven't really got anywhere to go and of course these big companies um, will say right we'll close that shop and we'll leave this other shop open because it was doing better um, if their profits are down they probably get closed and uh, that's not the fault of the staff in there to be brutally honest so there's very little those people can do but you know custom in store and the uh, higher end market 
people are prepared to put in the work, they'll get the work, they'll, they'll get the business. Um, I don't see why people should be afraid of a bit of hard work. If you don't try, you don't get. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt at this minute in time, the market is changing. Uh, and there's no point to try and deny that it, it is extremely difficult uh, in some sectors just now. But at the same time, there is uh, there is still movement happening in the industry. Uh, we know that overnight people don't just stop buying TVs, um, and so it's it's a chance for for retailers and uh, and online and stuff like that, perhaps to reevaluate what they've been doing. There's no way for everyone just to compete on price anymore. Um, so hopefully, what we will see is is service um, coming back in as a as a thing that buyers look for, and I think that companies that can do that stand a much better chance than surviving um, than those companies that are just relying on price at this minute in time. Absolutely. Well, we'll obviously keep an eye on the market as we go through the year on the podcast, but for uh, this moment in time, we're going to wrap up on this subject, and we'll be back in a second. For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. So, moving on, we're going to try and get away from the doom and gloom uh, this month. We've given that a good 20-30 minutes worth of the podcast. We're going to move on to new products being launched, but before we do, there is obviously the Pioneer announcement happened when we were off air, uh, guys, and we all kind of knew it was going to happen, but it was still a shock when it when it was announced, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, it was a bit of a shock, to be honest with you. We thought that they would uh, would last for some time longer with the agreement that they had with Panasonic. Um, but, of course, the effect of the yen that's already been mentioned just killed that stone dead, unfortunately. And, Graham, they're not the first company to uh, to make that decision, are they? No. Um, like I said at uh, Christmas 2007, I said Fujitsu were the first that... Um, did the, did the thing and said they can't make any money at it and they weren't going to be the last. I must admit, um, I thought, along with Neil, that uh, Pioneer would actually um, make more of a go of it before they threw in the towel um, because at the end of the day, um, the enthusiast market and the, and the high-end custom install market needed a panel of Pioneer's quality and with Fujitsu pulling out... Uh, the custom install market and everything else all beat a path to Pioneer and Pioneer had all that business um, laid squarely at their door. Now, if they still couldn't make enough money out of it, I found that all rather sad. Uh, um, All right, so Pioneer and Fujitsu were mortal enemies when they were both making screens, but nobody likes to see a good screen fall by the wayside because all that happens is the consumer suffers because they don't get the picture quality that they were paying for. And, um, well, I hope that uh, Panasonic's Z1 series, etc., um, becomes you know, as good a picture quality as the outgoing Kuro was. Uh, time will tell. Yeah, that was, a, that was a great link there, Graham. Thank you. Because uh, we are going to talk about the new products. So Pioneers, they're going to be available for at least a few months more. Uh, but once they're gone, they're gone. So um, what's out there to replace them? Well, we've been on some of these product launches uh, over the last few weeks. And uh, the first one was Panasonic's Amsterdam Convention, uh, which myself and David uh, went along to. And uh, like you say, Graham, their high-end model this year is the Z1. It's THX certified, big uh, boost in contrast. And obviously, it's only 24.7 millimetres, so they're really going for the the slimline look. And uh, what was unusual, they were actually showing the 2010 models as well, which are down to 8.8 millimetres. So we're looking at that the high-end screens there. You've also got the V10, which is THX out, um has all all the features of the Z1, but in a slightly bigger case. So we're looking at Panasonic. Do we, do we think that, that they're going to be the next choice, Neil? I, I think that they have to be the next choice, to be honest with you. It's difficult to see anyone who could who could match their manufacturing capabilities um, and being able to produce a, a much better display. So, yeah, I think that they certainly are going to be the next choice. And moving on from the consumer side of things, um, Obviously, the other big product that they have is the VX100, which we had the exclusive review of back in December on the website. Uh, David had a long look at that. Have you guys managed to, to have a look at this screen? Because it, it's obviously in your end of the market. 
Well, we, we, we have seen the VX100, um, and it's interesting, uh, some of the... Uh, there's some quite strong statements going around on the forums at this minute in time about the VX100 product. Uh, my own particular take on that is that I much prefer the VX100 um, to the Kuros, but I've always preferred the image that, that Panasonic have to what Pioneer do. Um, there's one thing in particular that the VX100 does extremely well, and that's graduations into black. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't have as low an absolute black level as a Kuro, but it has very, very fine detail all the way down into its lowest black level, and that's something that I, I truthfully don't think any other plasma TV or any other LCD could match at this minute in time. Uh, no, I agree totally about the black level. Um, I've, I've seen the Kuros, you know, as fantastic as they are, they, they appear to um, to clip into black at the very low end, and like Neil said, certainly that wasn't a problem there. Um, the only the only real disappointment I had was the lack of um, uh, color management system, which um, and from the the people I spoke to at Panasonic, they were uh, just as dis- just as disappointed about that as I was. Uh, is that a problem for for you guys installing them, Neil? Uh, in the ideal world, uh, I think that you would have that option. Um, I, I think that to my eyes, I find the native primaries of the Panasonic much less problematic than the native primaries of many other displays. Uh, mm-hmm. When you measure them, they, they are they are accurate within their own errors. Um, let me explain what I mean by that there. Uh, basically, the secondaries um, are very accurate uh, based on the slightly oversaturated primary colours that the displays use. Um, and that comes across um, in the ideal world, of course, on a premium display like that. These days, you would hope to have a colour management system. But again, as our friends at JBC have found out, um, it's not the easiest thing to make a very good working colour management system. And truthfully, there are very, very few companies so far, even though the displays have colour management systems built in, where they really, really are working perfectly. Not the not the worst possible feature to miss out. Well, it's it's interesting that, that obviously Panasonic are moving things forward and lots of comments about the engineers having moved over from pioneer to panasonic and there was also a slideshow which was photographed which wasn't supposed to be photographed which was showing <laughs> further development um of the kuro tech with the panasonic engineers do you still think that we're going to get to see that in the, in the years to come guys um well when panasonic um get into bed with people it's always a two-way arrangement and i'm sure panasonic saw certain things that pioneer did that they would um love to do themselves um, to make their panels better and um, well they haven't got to compete with Pioneer now so I would have thought that uh, Panasonic cannot actually fail to make a top class screen Um, uh, and I hope they do Um, there's an even more simplistic way to look at it actually Um, everybody knows that Pioneer had some exceptional R&D and development staff working in the the plasma area. Um, Those people found themselves looking for uh, a new employer. Uh, And truthfully, there's only one game in town. There's only one company that's really uh, producing top-class plasma panels in Japan. Um, And so, well, it's it's naive to expect anything other than most of the best pioneer engineers uh, going over to Panasonic. Um, And we also know for a fact that Panasonic are obtaining a lot of the the patents and the the close technical work that Pioneer had been doing, that, that stuff is all transferring over into Panasonic. That's certainly the case. So um, moving on, Panasonic are certainly not the only ones releasing new product and new plasma product. Uh, we still have LG and Samsung. And LG, uh, Neil, they're, they're a company that have impressed myself and David with the the way that they're going forward with the calibration side of things and uh, some nifty new features on there as well as THX certification as well. So they look like a product that, that needs a little bit of closer examination. Well, yeah, I mean, LG's a company that we've been keeping an eye on um, for a couple of years now. Um, it's it's one of the few companies in the really in the mass market that has been really looking at how to to differentiate themselves from the other players, not just on price, um, but also how to build in some real quality into the displays as well. So we just spoke about color management systems. 
for example. That's all stuff that LG have got built into their displays now, which which is pretty impressive if you look at the cost of the of the displays. Yeah, I think it's an exciting brand. They're doing some very innovative and different things that no one else really seems to be doing. Um, and I think that 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 they really probably have been stealing a lot of market share from some of the other more established players. Well, it's like like Neil said again, certainly I was impressed with the calibration options, um, and it, it, it it's really heartening to see them take that seriously. Um, other other aspects of the the image quality le- less so i mean if, if if they could improve the black level obviously is the one thing and also the um the uh let let us override more of the video processing if if anyone's read the review they'll notice that um there even even with high def content there seems to be some sort of high frequency noise reduction or some sort of cutoff going on uh which basically means that you don't get all the detail from a, a high def source which you know, it's it's high def. That's the point. So, which it seems nuts to me. If they can put more attention to detail into areas like that, then yeah, um, I think I think it'll please a lot of people. And another nifty feature they had on there, which is it's kind of a power street because we're all about educating the the public and the end user to get the best out of screens. Uh, one thing LG are, are bringing in is the the picture wizard. Um, which helps the end consumer set contrast, brightness, sharpness. That's got to be a good thing, Neil, isn't it? Yeah, I think that, that is a, a fantastic thing. Um, anything that encourages people to sit down in their own environment and improve the picture quality that they're getting absolutely has to be applauded. Anything that goes away from the, the plug and play. and I mean, the, I, I, that's really, I guess, how people get into this stuff, from adjusting the settings themselves and learning and seeing with their own eyes what they do. You know, you can you can read guides as long as you want, saying you know contrast controls white level, but um to the average person, it's you know for example, but to the average person, it's probably going to mean little until they see what it's doing with their own eyes. Yeah, so we always encourage that type of thing. So some good products coming from uh, Panasonic this year, LG products as well. We're going to have uh, those samples in very soon for review. So keep your eyes on our review area. We've got the G10 coming from Panasonic in the next week and also the new LG uh, 50-inch plasma as well. So let's look at other technology that's coming to market this year. Uh, Toshiba are introducing their top-of-the-line TV, which is the SV series, which has LED backlighting. Uh, We're also seeing that from Samsung and Sony as well this year. So guys, have you had a chance to have a look at LED and and do you think it's a, a positive step up from LCD? For sure, no doubt about it, that the LED offers um, quite a few advantages. We already spoke about uh, power consumption is a big issue these days. The LED clearly offers some advantages there. Uh, in terms of the half-life of the bulbs, LED has clear advantages. Um, and looking further ahead, it's clear to see that um, programmable dimming on different areas of the screen also has some potential. So... Yeah, I think LED is, is undoubtedly the way to go for LCD. There's um, an interesting couple of emails that have come my way recently regarding LED. Uh, people assume they're buying an LED 50-inch panel, and they seem most put out when I say, well, actually, it's referring to the type of backlighting employed in an LCD screen. Um, we all know that LED panels exist, or not a 50-inch that you can afford at the moment, but um, it's, it has to be pointed out that LED is often referred to the type of backlighting used. Now, they're either white LEDs or, in some cases, they're actually RGB LEDs, and they all have their merits, and they certainly do improve an LCD's performance. That's undeniable. And, um, you know, some come at a cost, some come at not so much cost, and as Neil's already said, um, power consumption is one of those advantages. But... um, I don't want anybody to get carried away with the fact that they're thinking a brand new technology for their 50-inch screen is going to be available in John Lewis Curry's Dixon's in the next couple of weeks. That's not the case. We're referring to backlighting. That, that is a good point to raise there, Graham. And, of course, when you introduce new things, you also tend to introduce new new problems or uh, <laughs> new new issues as well. And the, the major one with, with an LED backlight has to be uh, if it's local dimming, the, the halo effect uh, that can happen on these screens. Yes, the the halo effect is uh, one of the biggest problems that you still have. One of the unfortunate things for uh, a company who 
is releasing a, a very, very expensive example of LED dimming was that a recent exhibition they had their white logo um, bouncing around the screen like a screensaver um, and unfortunately it looked absolutely appalling um, because of the halos around it. There just simply wasn't the granularity of dimming to give a convincing effect. Um, the technology itself shows extreme promise though and I'm sure it will only be a matter of time before the the density of LEDs can be improved um, to the point that we can really get per pixel dimming and then eventually we'll move to full LED TVs uh, where we have true on-off of each of the individual sub-pixels. And that just made me raw um, per pixel dimming. That sounds ever so much like a plasma nail. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we're talking about the backlighting there, but uh, Sony and Samsung are going with edge lighting uh, technology, which uses the LEDs on the edge of the screen so they can get them thinner. Immediately to me, that says it's going to introduce some issues there. Am I right in that thinking? I think it probably would. Yeah, I think it probably might. It depends how much effort they throw at the engineering to um, get the slimness they they like without everybody seeing that the sides of the screen are much brighter than uh, anywhere else. Uh, I I would assume that we we will not be going back to the dark days of PC LCD monitors where you could actually see the bright spots down the sides of the screen. But uh, I don't know. We we shall have to see. It's very, very difficult to produce um, a product with good uniformity when you're only lighting it from the sides. Um, it will be interesting to see uh, how well the companies have been able to do to uh, to, to overcome that problem. To be quite frank, yeah. um, the the LCD panels from uh, the SLCD Sony and Samsung's facility um, for 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 any benefits they did have, you know, the uniformity of some of them without edge LED was quite shocking. I've seen I mean, I've, I've seen um, Sony and Samsung TVs where you know like you, you can literally see huge big. Uh, white stripes over areas of the screen and where some of the you know when you when you display a whole black screen the thing it looks like a portrait photographer's background yeah yeah <laughs> that's it's, it's an engineering challenge yeah. yeah i mean there's there's lots of promise there and and it's obviously a technology that none of us are going to write off because uh you know we want these companies to succeed we want better display products out there so and if they're putting the r&d in guys it's it's got to be applauded especially in the current situation am yeah. i right absolutely David, we saw something at the Panasonic convention which kind of surprised us and, and enthralled us at the same time, so maybe you can tell people about that. Well, it depends on your definition of normal. It was their new um, uh, IPS Alpha panel with um, with uh, some sort of LED technology going on for the backlighting. And uh, like you were talking about earlier, the, the inherent problems you're going to get with um, uh, local dimming technology like that is the, the halo effect. Um, now, what they were showing was um, it wasn't easy material by any means. It was um, you, you'll be able to check on the video we, we we shot there actually. But um, if memory serves, it was a white box bouncing around a black uh, black screen. There was very very little um, halo effect, and uh, the engineer that was showing me it explained that they're actually holding it back until they can improve that even more. But even even as it stands right now, it was a huge improvement on the uh, local dimming uh, that I've seen from other manufacturers. On top of that, I mean, with IPS alpha panels, the um, the one of the inherent advantages of that type of LCD panel has always been the uh, the viewing angle has been much better than competing types. So you know you you have that advantage in there as well. Yeah, it it certainly was an impressive demonstration, and I guess again, guys, that the R and D is going on there. Panasonic, big company, so hopefully we will see some improvements there. So let's leave the displays for the time being, and we'll be back in a second, where we're going to look at some of the products we've been looking at recently. The highest definition. I got you the big screen TV and THX quality sound that would make George Lucas cream in his pants. This is the AV Forums Podcast. So to wrap up on this month's Home Cinema Podcast, we're going to talk about some of the kit that we've had through uh, for review recently and some of the kit that uh, Graham and Neil have been playing with. And uh, I guess we've got to look at high-end Blu-ray players. They're now coming in thick and fast. We've had two of them in so far, the Pioneer LX91 and the Sony 5000ES. David, we'll come to you first. You've had a look at both of these players. What are your thoughts on high-end Blu-ray? I think um, a certain little games console 
has uh, put these companies in a very, very difficult position because talking purely about video here, um, I've, I've not seen anything to convince me that um, there's anything wrong with what the PlayStation 3 is putting out uh, as talking from a standpoint of reproducing what's there on the disc. You certainly, if you look at the way um, different manufacturers are tackling that, you can you can see hints of that. For example, you know you you were there with me at um, the the Panasonic convention behind the the closed doors, where Panasonic were showing off what they were doing with their um, their Unifier Unifier their 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 um, Blu-ray chip, um, and they're focusing almost exclusively uh, on uh, low power consumption as usual for them, the uh, interlacing of 1080i content accurate uh, chroma upsampling you know really all, all the all anyone else can do is really try and improve what is on the disc because to be frank most of the stuff on blu-ray is so good already and really the differences between high-end players are um, seeing what kind of um, approaches the manufacturers are taking to that or, or the, what kind of approaches they're taking to processing the video yeah, and certainly some of that, some of that post-processing, some of it could be welcome. Uh, at other times, it could uh, it could just be intrusive. For example, in the the Sony S five thousand DS that I've had in for review, they have a feature called uh, Super Bit Mapping, which um, uh, it, it it attempts to smooth over the uh, you know the, the rough gradation steps you get that are inherent with eight um, bit video, which is what um, all the codecs on Blu-ray disc are using is eight bit. Um, it attempts to um, to smooth out those you know um, those those rough gradation steps uh but then you know on the other hand you get features which i think are really just best left off like you get these intrusive edge enhancers and film grain reduction processes for example so neil is is this your experience with high-end blu-ray then that the only differentiation is in the post-processing it's very very difficult um to answer that one uh as people know we use the playstation 3 in our demos um, or we always have done up until now in our demos. Um, the next demo that we are going to be doing, we are going to be doing something a little bit different, uh, at which point we will be able to give a, a more comprehensive answer. I think uh, I think that a lot of the differences are undoubtedly due to uh, enhancements, let's call them, post-processing um, functions that are applied. Um I still think that there is a certain, it's very difficult to describe, a certain depth of field that you can get from the high-end players that you don't, you just simply don't get from uh, the other models. Um, but then again, I'm talking about viewing that on an £80,000 projector uh, on a four-metre wide screen. So, yeah, any differences that are there are pretty easy to pick up on. Um, when you're viewing it back on a 50-inch plasma TV, then it really gets hard to 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 really really differentiate between them. I still think that there are some very very small things that you can pick up on, but not a huge amount to be honest with you. And certainly, uh, if if all players were able to offer a pure mode, and um, the differences would become even less noticeable. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? I was going to pick up on your your depth of field comment there. Um, is it some sort of high frequency edge enhancement process that's been done very carefully or is it you, you know what what i'm asking is um is it an enhancement of what's in the disc or is it a shortcoming on the the other players in your opinion the the way that i i see it it's it's difficult to put it into words but if you think about the the composition of objects on the screen going back into the frame you sometimes get a scene um, that's been put together in such a way that stuff just seems to disappear off into the distance. And other times you have things going off, but it's it's as if you have distinct layers rather than smooth transitions off into the distance. Um, and I don't think it's anything to do with, with edge enhancement or anything like that. Because sounds as you know, like, um, it sounds like it would be something relating to gamma. If it's what you're describing, well, again, like, you must like remember say, that we calibrate these things to within an inch of their life. So, yeah. I'm uh, I don't discount it completely by any means, um, but there is just something there. There's actually a very, very interesting thread on the forum just now, talking about image depth, and image depth really is 
is incredibly difficult to measure and uh-huh. even to to describe. But when you see it there, you really go, "Yep, that's that's just different to what I've ever seen before." And content plays a big part in that as well. Yeah. So. Graham, what advantages should high-end Blu-ray players have then if the PS3 is doing it just as well as, as, as some of these other, other players out there? What, what are you getting extra for, for, for the money? Oh, God, that's an interesting question. Um, the audio quality that comes out of these players is obviously of a higher standard. Um, that, that much is it was easy to to differentiate between a CD playing on a PlayStation 3 and a CD playing on a Pioneer LX91. I mean, the difference was just night and day. Um, the same goes for DVD music, DVDs. Uh, you can you can actually hear the difference. Um, I was actually comparing uh, an LX91 with a 5,000-odd quid DVD player that happened to do CD quite nicely as well. And the audio quality was ever so, ever so close. So... Yeah, audio quality is much better. Um, video quality, so like Neil says, it is very difficult to give a carte blanche answer to X Blu-ray player is better than Y Blu-ray player because it very much depends on how big an image you're displaying and the processing that's going on. Um, when the guys were talking about uh, image depth, uh, it's... Um, you know, a lot of these processors, video processors that they put into the mid and the cheaper end of Blu-ray and DVD markets don't do per-pixel processing. They always group them in, in groups of eight. So therefore, you know, it, it takes an average of those eight. So you would lose depth uh, as a result. Um, whether you notice it or not is almost down to the content and how well it was shot in the first place. But uh, you know, on the dearer ones, if they're doing per-pixel processing, you should get a greater sense of depth to the image because you're um, reconstructing more of the information that was on the disc. But at the end of the day, if the disc is rubbish, it's going to look, you know, um, you know, awful in uh, various uh, degrees of awfulness. And if the content is really, really good on the disc, well, then it might blur the distinctions between £3,000 players and £500 players because the content was so good anyway. Uh, it's, it's very difficult, but... Um, it's uh, difficult. You know, yeah, Sorry, sure. interrupting. It's it's interesting you mention eight by eight because that jogs my memory. And reading the uh, the ITUH statistics for video specification it reminds me it's going to de- the, the the performance if there are differences like that that you say in the decoding stage. It remember there are three codecs on BD. Really, we're seeing AVC used for for the most part. Uh, there are, there are still some VC one titles out there. And again, if you're going to go back real far back, you have MPEG two stuff. Um, the one interesting thing about AVC is that um, during the encode process, there is an in-loop uh, deblocking filter. Uh, now, as far as I know, I've, I've done a lot of encoding tests and compared players and on the stuff I have here, at least, I've not seen any, you know, any real differences between, uh, between players with uh, all their you know, processing stuff turned off. But what I would like to know is um, what we will need to, uh, I'll need to research further, is whether or not there is room for the deblocking to vary on the ABC decoding stage, because most of the time it's uh, it's during the encode process that this uh, this um, uh, this would take place. Um, that is that is, for example, the encoder will uh, it'll encode for, as far as I understand it will encode frames, and if it detects edge blocking, it'll go back and it'll apply a deblocking um, uh, strength to that one macro block. Um, whether or not. The, the decoder implementation can change that. For example, maybe a, a, a high-end player would um, allow you to control the deblocking at all, maybe. Um, it's possible. I'm not sure, but the thing, I, 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 think it's, I think it's one of these things that is um, tightly, um, tightly laid down and deblocking during the encode process. I don't think there's... Um, I, I actually don't think the, the, the hardware manufacturers have any um, room to move around in there. Keep in keep in mind also I'm talking about deblocking during the encode. That is deblocking that refers specifically to the um, the quantization data in the encode itself, not um, post processing deblocking, which would be um, taking an already decoded video signal and uh, applying much less intelligent, you know, um, image analysis and processing to it. 
Yeah, that's basically where I was going with the conversation. That um, remember, the display device <laughs> um, will have some sort of processing going on in it as well, and that could be yeah. good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and the, depending and on projectors, you have optics as well playing a part. Well, yeah, it's it, there's so many places that it can be screwed yeah. up. It's almost unimaginable that you get a yeah. picture in the first place. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, um, you know, I've seen the, the LX91. I've seen the the Denon 3800. I've not seen the, the latest Sony yet, but I was of the opinion that you know they do look better than the PlayStation 3. They certainly you, sound better than are, the PlayStation Are you talking 3. about the, the S5000DS? Yeah. I would say it is worse than PlayStation 3. Oh really? Uh, not because <laughs> I'm glad not, I haven't not, seen you then. <laughs> not 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 for any like you know like um higher to pin down like depth of field reasons or anything like that. Um, but um, it's like a lot of high-end players. It takes. It doesn't read 1080p 24 or 1080p slash 23.976 for being really you know purest. It doesn't read that signal directly from the disc as it is. It um, reads it out as um, 60i, and then it performs its own cadence detection on that, which um, seems bizarre okay. to me. So what happens then is it's okay for the most part, right? But then you have uh, some more difficult cadences you have to account for, and it doesn't. For example, there's the the anime film uh, Tech on Concrete, which is uh, it's Japanese animation, so it's highly limited, right? And mm. it's all digital, so there's no noise moving in the frame. So that means that um, there there are points where it will lose its grip in the cadence and show you combing. Uh, and I also saw it on um, uh, My Blueberry Nights, the um, I think it's the Wong Kar Wai movie. What he does, and there, there are scenes in that where during the edit process, they've like they've taken stuff they've shot in film, and it's, it's a digital intermediate now. So again, there's no there's no motion at all for it to, to detect. Um, they've they've actually slowed down shots with the really you know just by repeating frames, and that that makes it go nuts. Not for long, not for long. I mean, it get it it, it, it picks up again, but the fact is we have a high end player which is you know internally 60i, which is showing combing, which you don't see on a PlayStation 3. Mm. Doesn't now, happen you much, think, you, you think Sony would be the one person that would be able to do that? I haven't seen it, so I won't yeah. say anything else. <laughs> but but that, that's what I'm saying. When it's that that console must have it must be such a headache for manufacturers. I, mean, I was talking to a rep from one company a while ago, and um, that company their their Blu-ray products consisted entirely of camcorders. And I said to him, well, that's kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, you think of Blu-ray disc as a you know, high-end form for watching movies on. Um, and the guy just, there was a PlayStation 3 hooked up to the TV behind me, and the guy just gave me kind of half-smile, turned around and pointed to the thing and said, that's the problem. You mean you're almost suggesting the consumer's getting excellent value for money out of an upgradable <laughs> sort of quid box, you know? <laughs> I think Pioneer and everybody else will be out with the knives to stab you instantly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, on that, on that bombshell, let's move the conversation along a little bit. Um, <laughs> yes. Obviously, the, the the other big thing about a high-end Blu-ray player, or any Blu-ray player, is the fact that it needs to play DVDs as well. Um, people don't want two boxes under the TV. So how well are, are they doing that then? Well, um, sorry to bring it back to this machine again. Uh, the PS3 is um, what what differentiates it is um, the scaling algorithm used uh, for DVD video or for I, I assume for any standard def. I mean I know you can you can get like a free view adapter for the the PS3 now and I'm, I'm hoping it uses the same process. What it appears to do is um, pick out the high frequencies in the image, give them a slight um, a slight edge enhancement, um, and also what it what it appears to do is um, smooth lines It'll, it's like a kind of almost vectorization effect and that can look very pleasing i think for it, it again depends on the content and the way it was encoded uh the way it was pre-filtered prior to encoding it it can look very good uh, it certainly it certainly has a very distinctive appearance certainly the only uh the only player that actually looks similar to it is interestingly enough the toshiba xde machine which um it appears to be doing something similar of course i mean scaling is only one part of it you have the whole cadence detection issues as well uh, as far from from what I've seen, it's it gets that right. The DVD playback on these high end machines. Again, talking purely about video here. Um, I know that I know that uh, the Pioneer LX ninety one was getting the the cadence detection for PAL movies correct. The Sony the S five thousand ES again. It's um, 
it, it's a strange effect actually it, it seems to get the initial uh, 2x2 cadence detection for Pell movies correct but then before the video hits the screen again it seems to have to jump through some sort of 1080i centric video processor so what you get is video that looks like it's been correctly um, deinterlaced but then having 1080 and 1080i sized combing on it so again, it's a uh, it's a high end player that, um, in some aspects, is um, done by the games console from the same company. Neil, is any of this stuff that you have found, obviously, with with your inst- installation experience and so on? Well, um, you do see it. I have to say, at this minute in time, there are not so many um, Blu-ray systems installed in high end cinemas, which may sound uh, slightly counterintuitive, but it's taken a while for. Um, the, the players to kind of come onto the market that support the latest features and um, in particular have control options, RS-232, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't really seen that many of them um, up to this minute in time. Uh, I was using a Denon 3800 quite recently, which I felt gave uh, quite a nice picture. It did detect some uh, unfortunate issues in the analogue output of the sound, but... Um, I think uh, I think it's still early days for Blu-ray and high-end uh, cinema installations. Is it maybe still too early for Blu-ray and high-end players? Uh, are we still seeing a lot of these buggy issues that David has obviously raised uh, today? Some of the issues that he's seen. It, is it a fact that these things will develop as things go on and firmware upgrades and that kind of thing, Graham? Yeah, I guess there's no reason why it shouldn't be put right. They're all using um, very high-quality video processing from um, Silicon Optics or the other guys of a similar ilk, and these processes are extremely powerful that they're putting into these Blu-ray devices, and it's all firmware. So if they have a if they have a, a means of fixing it, it's in firmware. There's no doubt about that, and adding additional features and you know, sticking the algorithms in that um, hone the performance are only a question of time. Uh, I can't believe that any manufacturer would just sell um, a Blu-ray player at £1,500 and above and not update the firmware as as and when enhancements became available. I mean, that's why people spend the money on a device like that because they know they're going to get the service and support and enhancements far more than they would do with a 200-quid job, PlayStation 3 accepted. Um, yeah, I, I like the video and audio output out of these high-end players. Um, and like I said, I haven't seen the Sony, and um, from David's comments, I probably won't want to. But, uh, you know, the Pioneer and the Denon and a few others... You know, it's it's a nice unit. Um, you know, let's not get away from the fact that um, you know we see a lot of custom installs in our work. So the fact that these players have RS two three two on them, uh, a lot of them have twin outputs, so you can route your audio separately to the video because there's no way you want to send um, HD master or true HD up to your projector. It's a complete waste of time. So those that have got two outputs actually make the installation that much more of a sensible thing to comprehend and you know even if you're feeding two different screens like a plasma or a projector having two outputs um, saves a little bit of money as well in the install so those features are worthy and they're the sort of things that you're not going to see on a playstation 3 so at the end of the day if the picture's as good as a playstation 3 well then fine playstation 3 is an excellent device but there is more to it than just the picture Speaking speaking of other advantages of high end players, I mean you have uh, you have the the analog seven point one surround outputs, and don't forget also though that the PS three is a fairly noisy machine. Exactly so. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, if it sounds like I've been trashing this Sony high end player through the whole thing, no, that's it's not the case. I mean, much of the time, that my my point here is like you just said, much of the time with ten eighty b twenty four content, it looks absolutely fine, so long as you have the silly like film green reduction stuff turned off. Most of the time, it looks absolutely fine. But so do just so does just about every player. That's the problem. Is how they differentiate the high end product. And Neil, Neil, let's pick up on that point about analog connections and so on. It's it's one thing that the, the pioneer um, really plays on is is the analog connections that it has on there, um, as opposed to just using an HDMI connection. Uh, now there are some issues with base management and that kind of thing but it, is there really a market still for, for having the, the analogue side of things or, or has Denon uh, hit the nail right by going with the 2500 just being a transport 
Um, no, there is actually still a market for the analog side of things. St- still a big market, um, and somewhat ironically, I guess it's probably at the high end that the the market um, for analog output devices um, still really exists. Um, many, let's say, even one or two year old installs uh, will use surround sound processors which do not have HDMI inputs, but simply have sound quality way, 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 way beyond um, any of the the HDMI-equipped devices that are around at this minute in time. And, of course, uh, people simply don't want to compromise just to have an HDMI connector. Um, So if you have a player that offers very good analog performance, um, then you can keep that good sound quality for all of your other devices as well. And I guess just to wrap up here, um, the conversation's gone in a few directions, but if someone is looking at upgrading the, their system for a Blu-ray player, um, what are the reasons that they should be looking at the high end as, as well as the, the mid-range market? Well, at this minute in time, why should someone spend extra money on a high-end player? Um, there are several reasons for it. Um, number one, they need the control options. Number two, they need the audio options, um, such as analog output. Or number three, uh, they are just simply looking for something that has overall better build quality um, than, than the average product in the street. From the discussion that we've had uh, so far, there are not huge picture advantages um, for people to shop around for. Although we do know that there are some interesting new features um, being looked at which still come under post-processing, but could be of interest to people in the next few months. Yeah, I think Neil's absolutely spot on there. I wouldn't disagree with any of that. Um, to repeat, it would just waste more of your hard disk space. So I'll <laughs> nod in approval at that point. Yep, pretty much in agreement here. Um, like you said, the differentiation between... Po- it, it's, as far as I'm concerned, for video, it's it's all in post-processing but like you say you have the differentiation between annoying post-processing and features like sony super bit mapping which attempt to compensate for shortcomings in the the video codecs used so it's it, this is i think the phrase i used in review is um uh reconstructive rather than revisionist in purpose very clever. Okay, so that wraps up our, our little conversation there and almost wraps up our podcast for this month. Um, just a couple of things that are coming up. We have uh, the fif- hopefully the 50-inch VX100 for review. Uh, David will be looking at the G10 from Panasonic. Uh, we also have the Toshiba XDE player, which I'm looking forward to, David. Looking forward to that review. And uh, the Sony 5000ES should be up there uh, right now so that's just about all from us for this month if you have any comments about what we've discussed then please go to the av forums podcast forum and uh, give us your comments under this podcast and hopefully we'll come in there and reply to some of them and or just read your feedback so all i need to do now is thank our panelists this month Uh, neil davidson thank you no problem phil speak to you next time Uh, thanks to graham no problem phil speak to you soon and thanks to david mckenzie thanks dave no worries at all Uh, This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening and we will see you in April for another Home Cinema Podcast. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.